Hello and welcome back to an A to Z of UK TV drama with me, Andy. And me, Martin. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm well, very you, well. You're doing good works. You're, you're, you're out there in the world doing good works for the community. I, well, I don't know about that. Principally for myself. <laughs> To keep ah. my child in shoes. For shoes. me, for me, all for me. <laughs> the rest of you go hang, it's all for me. That's again a, a theme that uh, crops Ooh. up in today's show. But interestingly enough, um, like I say, I, I myself am, of course, still not working. So yes. I'm at the I'm in, at the impoverished end of the Barchester Chronicles cast, quite frankly. <laughs> I'd be there in the old hospital getting me shilling a month or whatever it was. Uh, you are bunts. You are Bunce. I am, I am Bunce. I'm Bunce because I can actually read the paper, sir. Yes, it's true. And I can talk, <laughs> yeah, talk exactly. in a strange, strangely Garza accent. Yes. You don't have to just put a mark. Put a mark on ah. <laughs> So but yes, we should, I suppose, mention what it is we're going to be talking about today, which is, of course, the BBC, uh, BBC One, I suppose, BBC version of the Barchester Chronicles, as, as revealed to the world in seven lovely episodes back in... 1982. Yes, indeed. I think it was BBC Two. Was it BBC Two? Oh, I don't there, know. Yes. No, you're right. No, you're right. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yes. Uh-huh. The BBC presented <laughs> upon their second channel. <laughs> <laughs> so, Barchester Chronicles. A bit of background. Um, this oh, is why bad. not? Yeah, it's, it's, it's trolls in it. Them yeah. books that, that people who go to university tell you you should have read, and I've never read. Yeah. But there we are. I do think the Chronicles of Barsetshire fit that the things you sh- you're meant to read. So mm. that's what the six book set is called, the, the Chronicles of Barsetshire. Mm. And this adaptation is of the Warden, which was published in 1855, and Barchester mm. Towers, which was published in 1857. Is and there any reason yes. why they only adapted the two books? Do we know? A good question, because. I know a lot of people who prefer some of the even later ones and mm. and other characters reappear. And I think it's just that these two work together right. as an ongoing storyline. But well, um, was I it guess actually it's planned been... to do them all and then nobody possibly. watched it? And... Right. Possibly the viewing figure. I can't imagine the viewing figures being spectacularly high for this. It is very... Yeah. Um, what's the word? Wordy. Niche? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I should do. I feel I, I I have a theory about certain types of BBC production, and they are again, it's much the same way as we said about the books. They're the sort of productions you're supposed to watch. It's a bit like the sport yeah. supposed to make, and the BBC felt that that was their role was to make yes. the classic novel into television uh, for the good of the people. And yeah. sometimes that's possibly why I never actually saw it. To be fair. Well, I, I sort of remember it being on and thinking, hmm. oh, there's lots of choral music. And I mean, I was Too a vicar's son anyway. Too close to home anyway. for you, lot, innit? I was a vicar's son. I didn't want to have anything to do with this. Mm. I was like, no, this is a load of baloney. Mm. And there was just people talking in bonnets in rooms, as far as I could tell. Yes. So, yeah, it, it, it is. There's a lot of bonnety nonsense. And you know how I feel about bonnety nonsense. I do. Was it, was it we used to not... call it? Corsets in crisis. That's yeah. the thing. But let's not dismiss it too soon. Um, no, indeed. This series was directed by David Giles. And mm-hmm. it was adapted by Alan Plater. And mm-hmm. we previously were fans. Um, let's see how we get on with them now. Because well, Alan it's Plater... interesting. Uh, yeah. I've spent a great deal of time in the last couple of weeks I've been watching. That. I've actually sat through this twice for this. Mm. That's dedication. Because the first time I just watched it. And then the second time I thought, oh, I better take some notes. Okay. <laughs> Having not taken any notes the first time. But the interesting thing to me is I keep getting it mixed up. 
I keep thinking it was written by the guy who did Very Peculiar Practice, whose name has ah. just leapt out of my brain. Yes. Um, I kept it's... thinking the second series of this were the seven episodes that he didn't write, which is why we got a very peculiar practice. <laughs> How weird. <laughs> of no, course, it's complete. I mean, they're Andrew Davis. It's Andrew Davis. Yeah. But um, of course, no. that isn't what I think. The reason I'm thinking that is because Babs turns up. Who's Babs? And, uh, uh, Babs, sorry, uh, Barbara Flynn. Sorry, oh, Barbara, Barbara Flynn. Oh, so we know her so well now. It's Babs Flynn. Well, yes. you know, uh, yeah. But of course, uh, who uh, featured in uh, the very peculiar practice? But, but she's also she also featured in in Bidebeck. Bidebeck, the other B. So actually, yes. B and Plater <laughs> go hand in hand. Oh, I see. So I can actually starting to understand your confusion now, and I may even forgive it because I'm feeling very. Um, I don't know. Forgiving? Forgiving? That's, <laughs> that's unusual. <laughs> so anyway, um, yes. that is the same team, Alan Plater and David Giles, who did mm. A Murderous Announced, the best Miss ah, Marple. okay. Ah, so that, I think Ursula. Was, uh, yeah, and uh, Ursula Howells. Hence Ursula Howells, Miss Thorne. That's how she got the part of Miss Blacklock mm. later on. So we've pieced that together. But... I think that was the reason I was so keen to do this because I thought, well, that's that's a dream team. Emergence and right. is amazing. Mm. Um, well, let's come to how we feel about this series as we move mm. in. So, just to say, the first two parts are based on the warden, and parts yeah. three to seven, in which um, we have um, Alan. What's he called? Alan Rickman <laughs> and Geraldine. Alan Rickman. Yes. And Geraldine, what's her surname? Oh, Nakatomi. Geraldine, who is it again? Geraldine Jesus. McEwen. <laughs> Geraldine McEwen. They appear from episode three onwards. Um, they do. They are the course... new cast that are introduced in episode yes. three. Yes. Yeah. From three to seven. So we cover the two books over that time. Although I do feel that the warden stuff pops up in later episodes. It sort of feels like it's a little up. bit more of a mishmash. It's ever present. <laughs> well, it's a bit, that's what I'm saying. It's a bit mishmash. You know, part of the warden story is still ongoing yeah. throughout. If you don't care who is going to be the warden of Hiram's Hospital, then mm. leave now. <laughs> Well, yes, yes, indeed. It's this it's, is, it's, it's, this a, is it's an, a scandal of the age. This is an anti Anthony Trollope trope, and that's hard to say. Anthony Trollope trope. Um, is it? Did you write a, a, a trollope trope? <laughs> a trollope trope. And if you ever watch the palaces, don't watch the palaces. You will find oh that there are seven or eight episodes all around the theft of Lizzie Eustace's diamonds. So. Mm-hmm. We use that here at home as a phrase for something that's a storyline or something or an, a situation that's gone on for too long. We talk about the Eustace Diamonds because we gave up on the Pallisters, beca- the Pallisters because of the Eustace Diamonds. And there was a there was a real threat of this with who was going to be the warden of Hiram's Hospital. It was the mm. same sort of ongoing saga that was just went on mm. too long. It's uh, that's is that something of the 19th century novel i mean i'm, I'm yes. thinking of john dice and john dice some kind of feel is, that, is this is this just oh yes these ongoing everlasting yeah. legal shenanigans yes, that exactly. somehow seem fascinating at the time it's, yes it seized the imagination of the unwashed at the time yeah uh, okay so is, was this the thing i mean were were people waiting for trollope book six to find out who would finally be <laughs> the warden <laughs> was this it was a bit like harry potter with it was, did they split the last book in two and, and yeah, exactly that just for that moment of excitement well wow. it took them a long while to get to it yeah certainly by the end of the book 
But I just wanted to give you a bit of info that he received a mm. hundred pounds for Barchester Towers as an advance, which today is nine thousand nine thousand eight hundred pounds. Nine thousand eight hundred is the equivalent. So wow. that was amazing. So he was obviously immediately successful. Yes. I also wanted to tell you as well that Anthony Trollope stood as the Liberal candidate in Beverly, which isn't far from me. Okay. And he didn't take that opportunity to win, but it was to expose the corruption of the Tory candidate. <laughs> same old, same old. Yeah, exactly. some things ne- something's never changed. And this is the weird. 1850s, so if you expect anything to change, you're <clears throat> wrong and you're stupid. Anyway. Well, it's interesting, actually, uh, watching this, because uh, I did feel that there were uh, certainly, at times, many parallels to the modern times in which Indeed. we live. Indeed. Uh, so it does prove that things never actually bloody change, quite frankly. Yeah. Anyway, are you going to tell us what happens, what the synopsis is? Sir? Well, I can try. I can read you the back of the old uh, the old DVD box set. Gosh, go which for will it. Pro- which will probably... It's usually a reasonable... Uh, usually yeah. a reasonable at least on, on my edition. A Dreamcast brings Anthony Trollope's Barchester novels, well, at least two of them, charmingly to life in this engaging production. Engaging. From the <laughs> golden age of masterpiece theatre. Oh, that's an American audience thing, isn't it? That? Yes. Featuring Alan Rickman in his breakthrough role as the odious Obadiah Slope, or yeah. Slop, if you prefer. Also, now, this is the interesting thing from that uh, immediate thing is that's telling me that, oh, this is all... all He doesn't turn up till episode three. Anyway, no. the community of Barchester is shaken, shaken from its cosy... Shooketh it were. From its cosy complacency, so it's probably quite a nice cosy place to live, uh, uh, when a newspaper's crusade against the Church of England's practice of self-enrichment misfires. Overnight, Reverend Harding, Donald Pleasance, becomes a pawn in a battle between his younger daughter's beau, John Bold, don't get used to him, and his yeah, older exactly. daughter's <laughs> and his older daughter's husband, Archdeacon Grantley, Nigel Hawthorne. Hooray, Little do they realise that the worst is yet to come until well, a regime change delivers Barchester into the hands of the most unholy trilogy Trinity even. The unholy Trinity. The weak-willed Bishop Proudy, the domineering Mrs. Proudy, and the insufferable Reverend Obadiah Sloop. Yes. Be afraid. That's basically what happens. Yeah. I feel I should preface all of this by saying that the first, at least 20 years of my life, was overshadowed by malpractice and evil shenanigans in the Church of England. So... (laughs) So I feel like that might slightly skew my take on this, but there we go. Mm-hmm. Um, Although the, 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 this was uh, at least at least a hundred years after the events that we are about yeah, to see portrayed, but just the same, just the amount of same of cut and thrust and and um, backstabbing and evil within the church that I witnessed is very yeah. true in these in these novels and well in this adaptation. So should we should we bound? Should we leap into episodes one and two, which are adaptations of The Warden? It is a peculiar beast as a drama, I feel. Because yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of a light drama, except when it's not a light drama. It's sometimes okay. quite comedic, and it's sometimes quite not comedic. And it's quite interesting from that point of view, because that's a Plater way of writing. You have... Yeah. You know, you have very serious stuff going on, but there's a lot of lightness of touch to it. And I mm. don't think that make, makes it worse by any stretch. Uh, it's it's just... So those first two episodes, which literally do not feature Alan Rickman or 
Geraldine McEwen or yeah. um, Clive Swift, Swift yeah. are basically, they are literally about a, a campaign by this, this newspaper yeah. uh, uh, to basically, I don't know, queer his own pitch to a certain extent. I mean, he's actually... Uh, John Bold, who is played uh, uh, grumpily, I feel, by uh, David Quillam, or Gwillam, yeah. Willem, yeah. Um, is is basically he's flirting. He's flirting with uh, the daughter of uh, Donald Pleasance's uh, Mr. Harding. Yeah. Do we get first names in any of this? <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes. Rarely. Yes. I was just I was just trying to think. Then I was thinking, is is, is Mrs. <laughs> is is Mrs. Proudy anything other than Mrs. Proudy? Is she is she, is she actually a Glender or something? <laughs> but anyway, um. So you get all, you know, so he's basically, he puts the boot in to his, his future father-in-law. Which is silly. He's he's the most self-defeating character in the whole thing, is John Bold. He wants to fight for morality and truth, but he's being egged on by this other evil person um, mm. who is actually, well, he's not evil. Tom he's Towers. Just against, he's just against any sort of establishment mm. element, isn't he? George Costigan, who I always think I, of I, being from that dodgy film, Rita Sue and Bob too. But, yeah, um, he was at a wedding I went to. Once. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, he's, he's, I, I just, I, I, the only, yeah, no, no, yes, he, he yeah. did. No, I can't. Okay. I can't say that. But he, he was, he was at a wedding. <laughs> he was. I, think I he can't was say that he was shagging the bridesmaid under the table. No, I no, won't no, say no, that. No, 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 no. It was, it, it was, it was something much like. I, but you know, you don't, you don't mind. It was, it was just. Uh, put it this way: we, we were. We... <laughs> what? <laughs> no, we, no, we're not doing that. Um, so <laughs> I just need to say, George Costigan did nothing bad at the wedding that Martin attended. I'm just making no, it very no, clear. No, he didn't. No, he did. no, he did. No, he did absolutely nothing bad at all. He's a lovely family friend of the people who had a lovely wedding. So there we are. Um, Moving on. Yeah. But he, interestingly enough, he also turns up in the third Bidebeck. Um, story is one of the ah, policemen so okay. um, he, he does have a connection so yes um, so tom towers is riling up john bold um he's using him in order hmm. to sort of discredit the church because he's got this thing against the church of england for reasons we're not quite sure but um but this means that he's attacking mr harding for receiving hmm. funds beyond his needs to hmm. run hiram's hospital as the warden hmm. and basically he gets 800 quid a year in yeah. an era when people lived off about four pound of yeah. a year he gets 800 quid a year for doing bugger all um, and as we know 800 quid a year then is insane because if 100 quid is mm. 9800 i mean mm. he was getting a crazy amount of money yeah um although so, to be fair that's not his fault and he's no one of the more lovely characters in the whole thing so. lovely i fear there is reason to think that john hiram's will is not being carried out to the letter i've been asked to see into it very well I have no objection. No? Objection? To lawyers inquiring into the financial circumstances of the hospital? Why should I object? I may appear to be interfering in your affairs. If you act justly, say nothing in this matter but the truth and use no unfair weapons in carrying out your purpose, I have nothing to forgive. I presume you and uh, your fellow reformers feel that I'm not entitled to the money I receive from the hospital. Very well. You must do what you consider to be your duty. And I shall do mine. 
Do you know, though, that it wasn't originally meant to be Donald Pleasance? I did not know that. Do you know who it was meant to be? Uh, and it wasn't uh, because of his sudden death. Oh! <laughs> that narrows it down. Uh, was it Richard Burton? No, it was Arthur Lowe. Arthur Lowe. Yeah, that's interesting. Yes, that's actually, it is, isn't it? That's actually less of a, a casting leap than you would yeah. hope for, really. I feel that that's a bit, that's a bit predictable in many ways. I can see it. it because he'd I'm, been doing, because he yeah. did uh, Father What's It, didn't he? He was doing um, those comic, that mm. sitcom where he was a priest at about the same time, which I can't remember the title because yeah. I didn't research Arthur Lowe. <laughs> While I'm not pleased that Arthur Lowe died, I am pleased mm. that Donald Pleasance did this part because he is. Donald Pleasance is, uh, sorry, Pleasance. Donald yeah. Pleasance is utterly fantastic in this. Isn't part. he? I don't know about, I mean, the thing that gets me about yeah. this. Uh, 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 you tell me, Martin. Nep- nepotism aside, and his daughter getting a job. Very nice. Yes. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> is that um, is that my experience of Donald Pleasance, generally speaking, is whilst he's quite affable. Yeah. Generally speaking, most of the roles I see him in, he's basically playing slimy and unctuous and unpleasant and criminal and nasty ah, and awful. So to suddenly much, see him doing seven episodes of being absolute lovely yeah is is a revelation quite frankly i i mean i know that people act and they they have range and everything like that but he's actually he's just so lovable and cuddly in this that you actually think why was he always playing these villains yeah. is it because he was bald he's brilliant casting in this and i i love that the the theme is of him coming to question himself because of this attack that's been paid made by the papers by he's the only one with was... any principles, isn't he? He's but the only he's one also, with any but, absolutely but consistent Bold, principles. But then John Bold has principles. They're misdirected. And he's someone who will follow his principles, even if it means losing the woman he loves. So it's really interesting about the principles in this first, these first two episodes. And it comes to a point, I think, at the end of the first episode, where John Bold actually gets to the point where he thinks, oh, I think I'm in the wrong for doing this, for pursuing this attack on Harding. And mm. Harding's like, Maybe Bold is right. So it's lovely how it's very different to a normal dramatic setup in that usually there's someone being attacked by someone else and the person feels aggrieved and the other person is just an attacking mm. um, stereotype. But in this, mm. there's there's layers on each side and they actually, mm. yeah, they flip halfway through and that's, that's really Well, I think this is the, there's a moral core to Mr Harding's character, which yeah. I think is consistent throughout, is the fact that he actually does have a very very strong sense of what's right and what's wrong but yeah. sometimes it has to be pointed out to him before he notices it but when he yeah. realizes it and he thinks about it he goes no these people have got a point actually these yeah. people have got a point and i cannot in all good conscience carry on doing this if things don't change and that's interesting yeah it's an interesting thing because you don't see it very often your friend dr bold he is no longer my friend whether or not he is your friend, I think, I think what he says about the hospital and about its warden, I think he is right. And that thing about integrity in the Church of England, it's hilarious mm. because the bishop says of the warden at one point, he has persistent bouts of Christianity. <laughs> and I just love well, yes. that. 
<laughs> persistent bouts of Christianity, as if that's a bad thing. This is coming from the bishop. It's just like, yeah. oh my God, this is the Church of England. This is my well, memory of the Church of England, the most unchristian institution. The Church of England um, managed to get him off the hook to a certain extent. And he actually says, no, I, if if we only I only get off the hook on this because I've got more money and there's yes. a fine legal quibble. Yeah, there's a fine legal quibble that means that I'm no longer culpable. Yeah, that I I can't accept, and that's fascinating when you consider, shall we say, certain events in the media recently of, of yeah. involving <clears throat> certain um, people, uh, high ups in society, yeah. shall yeah. we say? You know, I I think this it's fascinating that that you because obviously uh, I suppose we should mention Nigel Hawthorne. Nigel Hawthorne. Uh, I'm assuming coming pretty much off Yes Prime Minister to do this, more yes. or less, or, or the date's more or less right. And and to be fair, it's not a massive leap for him. Sure. From the Humphrey Apple, Appleby uh, character. So he, so he plays Archdeacon Theophilus Grantly. Mm-hmm. And in the first two episodes, he's very... Um, I think he's quite one note. And I got mm. quite annoyed because he's kind of cast as the villain. He keeps mm. telling Harding to buckle up and sort of like sort mm. this out and they, we're going to fight this newspaper and mm. all this. The but, Jupiter! Yes. But the clever thing is, after the second episode, when we, we'll move there shortly, but when we get into mm. the Barchester Towers side of things, mm. suddenly you're you're in his corner and you're like, oh yeah, he's brilliant because there's an even worse evil and it, it's really it's lovely. Sudden, it, but it's a suddenly a farce, isn't it? There's a lot of farce going on, and that. And that yeah, but but also you suddenly are supporting this guy who, in the first two episodes, mm. is cast as the villain, and mm. there are worse villains to come. And ultimately, mm. you love Grantly, even though he's. Mm. I just find he was. He reminded me of Robert Stevens playing Abner Brown in Box of Delights in the first two episodes. Mm. He was just shouting all the time, really angrily. But um, there's more. There's more layer and new nu- nuance, nuance. Late, later on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The case is certainly a paltry one compared with the tens of thousands of pounds the church habitually expends on its own comfort. For the warden's income is but a poor 800 a year. It is uh, rather well written, is it not? Uh, Considered purely as a piece of English prose. You don't agree? Uh, Please, please continue. An action has been taken against Mr. Warden Harding by a gentleman acting solely on public grounds. And it is apparently to be argued by the church authorities that Mr. Harding takes nothing but what he receives as a servant of the hospital and is not responsible for the amount of stipend given to him for his work. This is the hand of the man, Towers. Towers? An associate of Bold. A journalist from London. A triple condemnation. Hmm. <laughs> um, the the other stuff that uh, well the the other things that struck me I, I, again uh, Nigel Hawthorne at one point comes down uh, one of the they're not the, the lanes I suppose around the cathedral aren't they the, yeah. the, the various areas around it and uses the word pettifogger. <laughs> <clears throat> now <clears throat> the thing is I was watching this the day after uh, PMQs 
the haystack who may not be mentioned no. used the word, and I just went, <gasps> Did he? You know, being a man of the people, he actually used the word pettifogger, pettifogger, and I had to look it up. I thought, what the bloody hell are you talking about, you yeah. idiot man? Yeah. And so, having never heard the word pettifogger in my life, within two days, oh, how weird. I heard it twice. Yeah. And I just feel that actually, probably, again, is makes it because he's probably read Trollope. Yes. You see, he's the, oh, one he's of those books you're Trollope. supposed to read yeah. because you go to university, or at least yeah. he got someone to read it for him, probably, yeah. or or write a few notes on it, or whatever, yeah. you know. Uh, but the fascinating thing that uh, underlies that first episode as well is mm-hmm. that there are the uh, Donald Pleasance's character gets his eight hundred a year, so he can basically write his music and collect his music, and he loves his music. Music is you know, a part of his identity and yeah. and rightly so. But the the twelve uh destitute men who are looked after by the hospital mm-hmm. is it do they get one and six a day or something? Is that is something that something like that? It's not a lot. Uh, and, it, and and he's put it up from one and four a day when he took over <laughs> generously. And somebody comes to them with saying, Well, you could get a hundred pounds. hundred pounds. Yeah. And all these illiterate men—I mean, only one of them can read and everything like that—their self-interest is just that you know, can you know, can we get our hundred pounds? That's basically the only thing. Yeah. Uh, and this is how they are manipulated into basically bringing him down and bringing this lawsuit, which of course costs them all a lot more than the hundred pounds they would have gained from it. Which again is part and parcel of what it is. There's a lovely—we uh, get uh, who, who's the um, who's the chap who play uh, John Ringham, isn't it? John Ringham. Yes, as the uh, as the sort of wicked solicitor who's on the side of the Jupiter, which is the newspaper that uh, yeah. are are bringing up these scurrilous scurrilous rumours, and uh, there's a, there's a lot of stuff about the legal profession, and what is it they say in it? Legal profession does does not concern itself with morality. Yes, <laughs> exactly. That's not. What I it's mean, about. This, this is satire. Now I can actually see why Plato would want to write this. I can yeah. from, from from a lot of. Uh, places writing being about injustices and being on the side of the underdog you can actually see this is the stuff that's interesting him in in these first couple of episodes you know yeah uh, so I, I am quite fascinated by that I am yeah. quite fascinated by by the way he, he you know he's, he's, he is basically slagging off Christianity he's slagging yeah. off uh, the legal profession and and rightly so there's also moments moments of interesting bits of shall we say social snobbery i mean we 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 get you know these sorts of people gets mentioned a lot those sorts and everything yeah the social divide is never greater than in the dealings with the 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 church the church men and the flock if you like Mm -hmm. you you see that the chasm between them in terms of lifestyle and in terms of you know their <laughs> their place in the world these poor wretches who are you know have basically been thrown on the scrap heap and the only rescue they have is this hospital that's um that saved them from starving to death effectively there's one point in which the archdeacon is reading from the jupiter and mm. there's a food food laden table and it's all silverware and it's just like he's angry in this position and yet he's mm. arguing against you know the rights of these these men as you say who are thrown on the on the scrap heap so yeah, it's it's underlined by the direction and the design as well. There are also a few few nods about uh, things like the the coming of the trains and everything like that. And, and we'll get to the trains. I just wanted to say before yes. we get to the trains, um, I loved 
the Mr. Harding's reaction to what's going on around him. And mm. he he's kind of like, I feel like he's so naive about the world. Mm. But yet he's also kind of where we are at now with how horrible the world is. Mm. We just can't believe how corrupt and immoral and wrong it is. Mm. And his only reaction is, if I'm to be ruined, I would rather be ruined quietly. And it's kind mm. of like this withdrawal from the world and from reality and the fact that mm. he's he just he can't cope with it all. It's just too much. And I just thought that mm. was so lovely, the way that was put over. Trains. Tell me about the trains. Oh, no, it was it was just that uh, it, it was more a sense of this is the era. This is the coming, the, the era of the coming of the trains. You know, yeah. I mean, we, we get mentions of Bradshaws. So all your um, what's his name? What's his name? That Michael Thingmajig does the train programmes. Portillo. Portillo, yeah. Portillo and his Bradshaw clutched yeah. to his yes. to his pastel pastel jackets. But, oh, and um, his red trousers, Jesus. Oh, anyway, yeah. Whatever. But yes, but uh, but there's there's certainly, shall we say, a certain amount of hostility towards the coming. The, tra- the trains don't feature much in this, but the, but the fact is that what what they do is they give us a place in time where the 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 country, if you like, was very much it was cart horses and and travel yeah. was by horse and and trap and, and pony and trap and, and stagecoach and everything like that. Yeah. And suddenly the world has opened up, and suddenly these bucolic, I suppose, communities like Barchester are suddenly being exposed to the wickedness of the world and the wickedness of the world is coming in. And I feel that somehow the trains uh, give some kind of metaphor for that. There is a lovely line, I think Barbara Flynn uses it, when it's about the the trains from London are very swift and and, and the ones back are equally swift or something. Right. And of course, later later we have Mrs. Proudy, who's who's questioning about the trains running on the Sabbath, isn't Mm. she? And she's like, I'm sorry. But she's desperate to get back to London because they won't go back to London for the season at one point, don't they? And it's like, it's, they do. The, the, the ability to get back to London is seen as very important. Mm. Although the idea of Harding going to London, that's, that mm. obviously is something that he's not used to doing. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about him going to London. His, mm. He has the encounter well, in ep- episode two with the mistake-ridden mm. Clark, who is just yes. useless. And then you get the... Par- um, the opposite of that when he goes to the hotel and there's the guy who has two copies in Bradshaw one in his head and one actual copy and I, yes. I love that juxtaposition if there is anything else yes there is something I wonder if there is a copy of Bradshaw I might look at we have two copies of Bradshaw two one in the office and one in there <laughs> you mean you know all the times of the trains by heart <laughs> the trains between London and the cathedral cities, those being the trains our clients are generally interested in, sir. This would be a Barchester train. Y- yes, it would. Uh, uh, some friends of mine may be travelling down from Barchester. I understand, uh, sir. Today in the hopes of catching me, uh, uh, catching me before my appointment with uh, Sir Abraham. There are three first-class opportunities for them to do so, sir. Two express opportunities and one stopping opportunity. If you take my meaning, sir. <laughs> Episode two, obviously, is when Donald Pleasance goes effectively yeah. to meet... Uh, what's the name of the... Haphaz- is it Haphazard? Abraham Haphazard, yes. Abraham Haphazard. Brilliant. Yes. The the uh, Attorney General. And obviously, as a, a meek and mild man, he has no idea how the world works. But he's he's suddenly lost in the city, in the, in the vicinity of St. Paul's. Yeah. And, um, and But doesn't want... He doesn't want Nigel to sort of turn up and 
dissuade him from his resignation. Yes. So he, so he hides out in a coffee bar. I know. It's lovely. And, about, about and when he's offered a cigar back. and things. Yeah, because he just knows that Archdeacon Grantley will win and will win him over or persuade him bodily to change his mind. Mm. But no, he's like, no, I'm, I'm not having this, which is lovely that he's got that strength. I also wanted to mention the convent custody case, Clause 107, the bodily searching of nuns for Jesuitical symbols <laughs> by elderly clergymen. <laughs> Which keeps There's a lot of interesting up. stuff going on in the courts. <laughs> yes. And that's, that's a very trollop thing, I think, is a phrase that's repeated that is meant to amuse mm. you every time you hear it. And certainly this mm. bodily searching of nuns for Jesuitical symbols by elderly clergymen is one of them. There's yes. quite a lot of, uh, again, another target for the, the satire is the, the journalistic trickery that just yes. gets uh, going on. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I did wonder. I had, yes, actually, get, getting onto the trains, there was the other interesting thing, because it does bring us to it, is that the, um, it's the fact that when uh, Nigel Hawthorne's character, Grantley, has realised that uh, Mr Harding has gone to London and he, he he sets off in pursuit of him. He he's he's running around the house trying to find out what times the trains run. Yes, and his and his wife basically uh, basically tells him, well, there is a system, you know, there is yes. a system. What he said, I do it for you. Yeah, yeah, and. <laughs> And exactly. that's the interesting thing, because I was going to say about the position of women in these stories. It's, yes. We, when you discard the bonnety nonsense, and we do get a lot of bonnety nonsense. Of we do, who particularly I later on. And there's a lot of fixing up and setting people up and oh, yeah. how can you possibly exist as an independent person with your own fortune? How very yeah. dare you? Yeah. And all this kind of thing. But there's a there's a lovely <laughs> there's a lovely situation where. Um, in terms of bonnets, <laughs> <laughs> yes. that um, that uh, El El oh God, what's her name? Eleanor? No, Eleanor. Is it yeah. Ele Eleanor, yes. Eleanor, Eleanor is yeah. is so riled by her uh, her beau, her, her yeah. John Bold, the man who who the, who was her suitor. Yeah. She's so that that she she can she will she she he starts she starts referring to him as Mr. Bold again and she yeah, yeah. and she becomes Miss Harding. They they can't use first names anymore. And it, it fascinates me this whole setup of how society was uh you know, people could not just go off and go to the pub and meet somebody, you know what I'm saying? It's it fascinates me. There's a wonderful bit though where she goes to his house to to tear a strip off him and say, "How very dare you! What you yeah. done to my mother? Yeah. Oh, my my father." father and, yeah. and, and and he sort of goes, and he just, she says, "How's your father?" <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, "Ah, oh, you'd be lucky, mate." <laughs> There's a lot of actual. I think Plato's having fun with the bonnety nonsense anyway because he does mention yes. bonnets in the dialogue quite a lot. And like oh, there's, yes. there's one bit in episode two where where someone says, "Honor, you can't fetch your own bonnet." Honor never allowed to fetch their own bonnets, and I just thought that was hilarious. <laughs> I must go. So soon. You have a busy day ahead of you. I must tell my father the news. But may I not say one word for myself? I will fetch your bonnet, Eleanor, while John says his one word. I'll fetch my bonnet myself. Honoured guests are never allowed to fetch their own bonnets. Don't be absurd, Eleanor. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ah, brilliant. Um, but yeah, so but episode two, you know, uh, ultimately, you know, you get all that stuff in London, and it's a very yeah. nice episode. Yeah. You know, I also wanted to mention something that is is a very interesting decision on the part of Donald Pleasance. 
um, when Mr. Harding gets really riled, so riled and he can't cope anymore, oh, the only the, thing he can do to, cello. to soothe him yeah, is to, is mm. to, to in, reenact playing the cello in front of people. The, the air cello. The yes. air cello. And at the first time he did it, I thought, what's happening? What's going on? I was really confused. And then I realised later, the second time he did it, ah, this is what he does to calm himself down. At first, I thought, this is just the weirdest acting I've ever seen. <laughs> He's taken off to the world of music. And the music yes. is, is what saves him. And Which is lovely. And the, 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 We'll come back to that theme of music as we move into episode three, I'm sure. I feel the wonderful thing about episode three. Tell me, uh, and, it, and, it, and it's the simplicity of storytelling. Is both of uh, both Barbara Flynn and Janet Moore <laughs> as Mary Bold and Eleanor Harding have lost their husbands, and they're in their black outfits, as is the way. Yeah. And it's like they've just so Mr. Bold, who's been our protagonist uh, yeah. for the past two episodes, never seen again. Yeah. They've all basically carked it. He's gone off. He's got. He got. He's caught something from one of his his worthies. Yes, he has his worthy uh, uh, patients, mm-hmm. and has died off screen, leaving her, uh, leaving both of them, in fact, as as wealthy women in their own means who have no husband. We should now, make what it clear, we should make it clear. This, can we just say we should make it clear that John Bold is is Mary Bold's brother? So she hasn't lost her yes. husband. She's just lost her brother. Carry on. Oh, I thought her husband had died as well. Oh, oh right. had she? We never met well, him. If he did, we never met him. So I just I thought he died off screen. But I, met, I thought she was both, just. A, I thought she was a something spinster. about both husbands or or so I much thought she sadness was a in the world. He said, ah, "Take your okay. husband and my brother." It said. Ah, okay, fair yes. enough. Yes, fair enough. But uh, I keep thinking that everybody spends all this time trying <laughs> to fix up Eleanor. No one's trying to fix up Babs, and Babs is wonderful. She frankly. is. She's better. And I love that Babs is not having the Christianity of it. She said, God didn't give you the child. John gave you the child. She's not having this mm. God nonsense. I don't think she really yes. believes in God, Mary Bold, and that's brilliant. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> now, in episode three, now, obviously, yes. if you buy if you buy the uh, DVD of Barchester, you can still buy the DVD of Barchester, it pushes very much the featuring the Rickman. The Rickman is a big part of the selling point of this. Because, of, because of Snape in Harry Potter, yeah. yeah. And you've Snape, Slope, Big Leap, yes. Yes. Um, and it's not, it's not, if, if you were doing, what's that thing with the green boxes? If you were doing that, Snape and Slope, you'd have to have. Oh, Wordle. Yes. Wordle. You'd have to have both of those in, in your in your five. Maybe that's your start word for the day. No, I don't know. Um, anyway, but yes. Yeah, so, and you kind of think, so you watch episode one, you watch episode two, you think, not much of the Rickman going on here. <laughs> no. uh, and then, but he does turn up. And he's, he's not actually as big a part of it as, as, as the publicity would have you believe. But I suppose he's the one who was the biggest star for a while after it, really. When also... I mean, I think... Episodes three to seven, he is the most important character in many ways because it's all about the bestial slope and what he's up to. Um, obviously, arguably, Mrs. Proudy just as much. But um, mm. I think it's not warranted the amount he's like pushed as as the lead for the box set. Mm. But I think he's he is the character that people love in Barchester Towers. I think. Mm. Um, so we should we should give the setup. So we have these three arriving. Uh, well, the bish dies, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, the bishop dies, 
and he dies at the wrong point. Is this the Cyril Luckham bishop? Cyril Luckham, the White Guardian dies. Yes, the White Guardian dies. And um, so the new bishop is Dr. Proudy and his wife, Mrs. Proudy. So this is Clive Mm. Swift and Geraldine McEwen. And he is the most trampled upon, idiotically quiet, foolish, controlled person. And Mrs. Proudy Mm. is this... Rampant. I do wonder sometimes. What? I, do, I, do, I do sometimes wonder about casting directors. You think Proudy to Brody? <laughs> well, yes, because she had been Miss Brody in a, in the nineteen seventy nine adaptation yeah. of and, and like say, Miss Jean Brody. Slope and Snape. You just yes. start to think, hold on, it's lazy. It's lazy. Yes, but and you've got Slope, who is going to be the bishop's chaplain, and I mean, it was so easy to write down all these words about Slope. I wrote down obsequious, calculating. Uh, oleaginous I also wrote down it was a really nice mm. opportunity to use all of these describing words but um, they take centre stage and they mm. become the new centre of the show and you've mm. got Grantley and Harding sort of like now as satelliting around them and it's around what is the new setup and the new setup mm. I don't think well, it's the, a... co- the cosiness is challenged isn't it that's yes. the thing you almost feel like they had this world sorted out the way they wanted it and then in come this bunch mm. to to throw a spanner in the proverbial or or, or a shoe in the uh, yeah. in the spinning jenny if you prefer, but um, <laughs> or a bonnet to the, the spinning jenny. <laughs> but the interesting thing is at, at the end of the seven episodes, yes, yeah. they they are still in place. They they, they are. They, so the actual world has Spoiler changed alert. forever in yeah. terms of in terms of this. We don't we don't sort of spend the next five episodes finding a way of. You know, deposing them and getting them driven out. Uh, now I don't know whether this is why I have this suspicion that they were probably thinking they'd do another series, but it didn't happen. That's, mm. Because you kind of feel that I don't know in terms of the books whether these people are in in place forever. Obviously, there are various people who wanted to be Bish, but uh, Mrs. You know, Mrs. It, Proudy is eventually um, she dies. She is right. defeated through death. Ah. Um, later on, in but the not novels. in this. Not in this. No. Yes. So we've got this wonderful thing that the bishop barely speaks and both mm. Proudy and and Slope will say the bishop feels and I agree. It's this mm. wonderful thing yes. that they keep saying and I My Lord <laughs> Yeah, and he's just a complete <laughs> puppet and it's so clever. I trust the repairs that we've carried out to the palace meet with your wishes. Oh yes indeed on the whole. Splendid. Very but hard. um there is one point I should like to mention, Mr Mr. Archdeacon. The, the the bishop feels, and I have to confess I agree with him, that the stalls in the second stable are not perfect. Why my lord, they're standing there for a dozen horses. No doubt, but visitors, you know, often require so much extra accommodation. We have so many friends in London and relatives of the bishop who always bring their own horses. And the coach house, Dr Grantley, there is hardly room for a second carriage in the large coach house, and the smaller one, of course, holds only one. I shall speak to the architect tomorrow morning. You might also mention the gas and hot water. The coping stone on the garden wall requires urgent attention. There is a hole in the kitchen that is clearly the work of rats. And the bishop is generally unhappy about the state of the locks. Locks! And then you've got the reactions of Grantley and Harding. Grantley's reaction to this is just wonderful. I mean, he's just, he's just like so furious. I'll play in that scene where he's absolutely furious by the first meeting with them and he just can't, he can't deal with it at all. It's just the most thoroughly bestial creature I've ever set my eye upon. Mm. It's just a fantastic moment. 
I don't think I shall ever like that Mr. Slope. Like him? Like him? Nor Mrs. Browdie either. I would deeply shock you if I were to use the word, nay, the words which come to mind when attempting to define Mrs. Proudy. The bishop seems a quiet enough man. The bishop has no choice, but an idiot, I suspect. He says so little it's difficult to ascertain. Mm. <laughs> he has the reputation of being a clever man, yet he seems cautious, not inclined to express himself freely. Well, the reasons are obvious enough. The man is a puppet. <sighs> well, no matter. Let the Queen make whom she may, Bishop of Barchester. The real adversary is Slope. You see him as an adversary, then? If I ignore the challenge, he'll have the whole diocese of Barchester under his heel. I suspect the Bishop will exert his authority in time. He's the most thoroughly bestial creature that ever I set my eyes upon. The Bishop? No! Slope! Of course. Because uh, they are, basically, the three of them are, are unpleasant. Uh, the, uh, and, and obviously, uh, Slope particularly seems to rile him. And uh, Slope, was it? And, and again, it's interesting because part of his motivation at this point, uh, uh, Nigel Hawthorne's character, is, I shall destroy him. And, uh, and to a certain extent, Nigel Hawthorne's character doesn't destroy Slope. The downfall of Slope, which does happen over the course of the yeah. uh, the later part of the series, is actually mostly down to the bishop's wife. It's mostly down to Mrs. Proud. Because there's a reversal, which is, I think, a very trollop thing. There's, they've is this? A, a, I mean, I'm, not, I'm sorry, I'm not as well read as you, obviously. But uh, is is this um, is this unusual for the fiction of the time for for women to be this? sort of laser-like. Oh, I, I do wonder. I don't know, actually. I don't think you, I'm as well-read as you think I am. But um, <laughs> certainly in Everybody. terms of in terms of women in this period, I think Proudy mm. is so wonderfully strong. And I think you're mm. also meant to feel that's wrong and evil. And mm. even through that adaptation, you think, well, she's a bitch and she should be got rid of. But you could mm. argue, you know, this is a reaction to women just being downtrodden and not... Mm. and not having a voice and when you it's a nice comparison between you've got Angela Pleasance as um Mrs Grantley and you've got her as you mm. know Mrs Proudy and they they both haven't got titles they're both just misses but mm. it's it's fascinating that she's got the quiet way of doing things which is deemed as appropriate mm. and right and she keeps Archdeacon Grantley ticking over and knows the trains and all that stuff um but then you've got Mrs Proudy who's domineering and that's wrong mm. but then it's hard to like her but at mm. the same time it's it's kind of, I don't know, who do you want to be triumphant? Do you want Slope to be triumphant or Proudy? It's just like, you know. But it's about triumph. It's about winning at all costs. Mm. And, yeah, it's interesting that it's the gender issue coming in, yeah. There, there is a lovely moment. Uh, there's a lot of shenanigans to come, so yeah. uh, at this leaping head. But there is a lovely moment uh, when uh, Slope thinks that he is triumphant and he goes cockily walking out yes. of this house that he's visiting. And and you can see in his in his jaunty step that he thinks he's on top of the world, and you just and and from that point it's literally all downhill for him after that. 
There's, a, there's also, I mean, episode three does suffer a lot with Bonnety nonsense. I mean, it it because uh, I feel that you could you could say that um, Alan Rickman has designs on the ladies of the parish to a certain extent. He's, he's out for a quick fortune by the look. Oh, of absolutely. But uh, and he doesn't, he doesn't there's learn. a lot of there's a Come lot on. of um, sniffing the honeypot, shall we say? There's a lot of circling. Yeah, but he doesn't learn lines. about Eleanor's. Um, vast fortune until the next episode, does he? Because mm. that's when he he suddenly homes in. And he's like, right, I need Eleanor because she's got money. And then you realise, oh god, he's literally just after money. But um, I just wanted to say about the overall theme of high church versus low church because it's something I understand mm. very strongly from my upbringing. Mm. So you've got high church with so obviously within the Church of England there are factions because because mm. it's an institution. There are always factions within any institution. But you've got high church versus low church. So low church is happy clappy. It's all sort of like um, very much not about ceremony, and mm. it's. I mean, it's it's become happy clappy and more evangelical. But back back then, it was more. I guess more sort of um, oh Quakery and sort of like oh, simple. Right. Okay. Um, and high church is bells and smells and ceremony and music yeah. and reaching God through that stuff. Now mm. my grandma, my grandma and my granddad who was a vicar they were very much high church they would have been very okay. much on that side of things and and yet they bear more resemblance to proudy and 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 the bishop i mean that's mm. how they 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 kind of similar feel in that she mm. was actually more in control than he was and and they, they she ran the parish effectively and it's a really interesting thing because they were actually high church, but in fact, Proudy is ag- and um, Sloper against all the bells and smells and the music. Mm. And you've got that wonderful sermon that that mm. Slope gives, even though he's the chaplain, which is like horrifying mm. on one level. But then he's he's going on about how um, things should be read with simple decorum, and things mm. are being obscured by melody and descant chords and incantation. Mm. Brilliant scripting, and probably just straight from mm. Trollope, I imagine. But um, I love the phrase meretricious melody. Oh, I love <laughs> that. But the point is, I was completely wrong-footed because because Mrs. Proudy and the Bishop reminded me so much of my grandfather and grandmother, mm. I assumed they would be all for the bells and smells and ceremony. But in fact, mm. they were more for the simplistic um, mm. Quakeriness. Yes, anyway. And is not that meaning lost when those simple reasonable words are obscured with melody and descant, chorus and incantation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The word, not music, not incantation, not meretricious melody. God is the word, and the word is God. The creature. Morning. Mere chaplain preaching in our cathedral. A deliberate insult. And what can one expect from someone raked out from gutters of Marylebone? What are you going to do about uh, him, Archdeacon? 
I shall destroy him. But how? I haven't yet decided. Well, the bish is basically too lazy to do his own sermon, isn't he? <laughs> Let's be honest. Honestly, he quite totally. Yes, and he wouldn't be <laughs> controlled by Proudy either in the same way. He, he's controlled by Proudy, but not in a way that it's, it's engaging to a congregation. Mm. He would never have said mm. the words that Slope says about mm. how music is potentially evil. Mm. <laughs> and of course, that all sets him at absolute loggerheads with the, the lovely uh, Mr. Harding. Who, yes. His, his music is his reason for being and part yeah. of the glory. I mean, we, we get sort of uh, lots of sort of choirs singing in, in, in cathedrals as part of the television process yeah. to but make us be it, impressed. Is it Peterborough Cathedral? Yes, it is, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just to be very personal about it, just for a moment, when I believed in God, um, it was through the music and that spiritual uplifting, and it was about that engagement that you get of the divine, if you like, when you're singing or when you're hearing music, and mm. it feels very real. But I got to the point where I'm afraid I, I agree with Slope, even though it's kind of a bit... Of, damning and dull is that mm. that's what's lifting people up to god and mm. it is a kind of a bit of a smokescreen that's my opinion mm. but mm. um this just, just much my personal stance on that and it's it's interesting um that there, that there is a lovely scene attacked. as well after after the sermon where where, <laughs> where nigel hawthorne is is furious and then people keep going, morning, uh, uh, Dr. Hawthorne. Hello! <laughs> I love it! In the a, middle of his rage. So go, but, Hello. but that reminds me so much of the Church of England. Dad would be in a... Morning! Dad would be in a horrendous mood after doing yeah. his church service on mm. a Sunday. We'd get all the shit. We'd be sitting through Sunday lunch in fear mm. of our lives because he was in such a bad mood about what Mrs. Mm. So-and-so had done or Mr. So-and-so hadn't done. But as everyone was leaving the church, it was all, oh, yes, hello, goodbye, oh, yes, it's lovely to see you, I'm glad you enjoyed the sermon. And then the reality of that, oh, that was so true. Ah. There's, a, there's a wonderful thing where, because obviously uh, Nigel Hawthorne's uh, Dr. Dr. Grantley, sorry, not Archdeacon Grantley, if you yeah. like, has, has, has decided that he's going to destroy him and, and they all hate him. And, and we must do something. And there's a lovely bit where Donald Pleasance's character just says, why must we always do something? Yes. Can't we just leave them alone? I love that. I love that. He just didn't get, why do we always have to do something to other people? Oh, that was one of my favourite moments of the whole thing. Loved it. Brilliant. Uh, towards the end of episode three, we are introduced to the Stanhopes. At the, bishop's, the bishop has a party, doesn't he? he has yeah. a, um, so Mr. 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 Reception. Mr. VZ Stanup is one of these 1800s um, vicars. Workshy fops. Yes, who doesn't believe he has to do anything. And he's, he actually says at one point it, it, the extraordinary notion that we do some work for the money the church pays. It's just like... It's just <laughs> well, isn't there a, isn't, isn't he, he's the one who went off to Italy for 12 years. Yes, lives at Lake <laughs> To Telmo. collect butterflies. Yes. <laughs> um, and he went on health grounds. And, and Mrs. Proudy says... Ask him if he is. I think the, the bishop wants to ask him if he is fully recovered, and mm. Mrs. Proudy says, "No, tell him he is fully recovered." <laughs> and it was just lovely. It's brilliant. Oh, That's a very uh, brief cameo from. Uh, oh God, what's her name? Felida Law. Felida, yes. Yeah, and I was so yeah. disappointed that she's only in the one episode because she mm. should have been. In, I thought this was set up. Oh, brilliantly! The Stanups versus mm. the Proudies, mm. and I thought well, they were going to be more significant, but they're not. They're barely mm. in it. The 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 Mister and Misses, the uh, elder Stanups, and mm. I thought Phil Phil Law was brilliant, and it was just a cameo in this mm. one episode. It was so disappointing. 
And how is your husband's throat, Mrs. Stanner? His throat? I've always considered it exceedingly handsome. How is your throat, dear? Oh, uh, intact, I believe, my dear. <laughs> Why, there's the Grantley. Uh, delighted to talk to you, Bishop. This is proud, eh? Ah. I suppose that is an example of Italian manners. And, uh, uh, of course, um, Slope is shown to be a wrong one because he's got, he's got the cheap wine for the, the Opaloi. Yes, because <laughs> M- Masala for supplementary visitors was the line. <laughs> supplementary visitors. And he managed to get a baker's dozen. <laughs> I have been to places where I've definitely been a supplementary visitor, I can tell you that. <laughs> But of course, I suppose the big uh, collision in in uh, this episode yeah. uh, is is the is where we get the sofa incident. Oh, brilliant! Oh, isn't it lovely? So we've got Signora Susanna Signor- York, yeah. isn't it? No, it's not Susanna York. Sorry, Susanna York, not Susanna York. Also, I've, I've written it round wrong. Susan Hampshire. <laughs> Susan Hampshire, yes. Uh, Signora Neroni, which is quite hard to say. Um, so Signora Neroni is basically the stand-up's daughter, but she's married into this name. And she has something wrong with her legs. She's lame anyway, isn't she? But this means it works in her favour because it means she's carried everywhere on a sofa. And... Do you know, in in life there are those those family. If you go to a pub and these families arrive and they just take the entire, yes. the entire yes. attention of the entire staff, yes. and they are like that. And it's like it's, there's this whirlwind in the middle, and nobody else get, get can get a drink yeah. for about twenty yeah. minutes because these people have arrived. That's what they are. That's what yeah. they are. This but, whirlwind of of look at meanness. But I love that Mister and Missus Stanup are completely aware of who their daughters are. There's there's, there's the boring mm. one who I vaguely remember, and then you have, there's Signora Neroni. But mm. she immediately announces for Lydia Law's character. Immediately announces both children are compulsive liars. <laughs> I just mm. love the honesty about their own children. I was like, wow, they're going to be ones to watch. But the fantastic thing about Signora Madeline Neroni is that she is the series feminist. She mm. is a feminist through and through, out of time. Mm. She is manipulative. She knows her wiles as a woman, woman that she's going to work things as much as she mm. can from her sofa. And she's going to run rings around the, the men and sort the women out. Mm. And she just lives to interfere. And I thought mm. she was a fascinating character in that sense. And far more interesting, let me tell you, than her character in The Palaces, Lady Glencora, who is mm. vivacious and fun, but she's she's very dull. Whereas Signora Neroni, there's actually mm. a steel there. There's something really interesting, and she's a really mm. great rival to Slope. Do you know, Mr Slope, that in coming to England, my one consolation has been the thought that I might meet someone as sensitive as you. I'm deeply moved by your sentiment, Signora. And now you know my sad story. May I crave one more thing? No, madam, you may not. Mr. Slope is required immediately elsewhere. Is she always like this? Yes, always, madam. Always the same. Always equally adverse to impropriety of conduct of every description. There's a there's a sort of there's a moment, isn't there? 
<laughs> where where these worlds collide because this is the bishop's event or yes. rather it's the mrs bishop's event yes let's be honest. yes it's mrs Party's event yeah and uh and somehow they come in and dominate it and uh, again part of uh slope's downfall comes from his encounter with the uh, madame or Signora Neroni yeah, yeah. Uh, in in this incident, but there's basically her. She, uh, basically, everybody has to uh, provide a place for her to perch, which is really <laughs> wonderful. And it's perched in slightly wrong place, and the, so the sofa has to be moved. So we get a bit of manly nonsense because we are men and we will move yeah, this sofa. Yeah. And the sofa traps Mrs. Mrs. Proudy's dress. dress. Oh my god! And, and, that's, and that's, rips it. That's enough for Mrs. Proudy to be like, right? She. She's dead to me. This is the end. Ah, I will destroy her. Yes. Um, and that's just a lovely moment. It is a lovely moment. And I love the the terrible things that are said about Signora Neroni. She's such a bore with her legs, someone says. <laughs> and also, um, someone says, is she always like this? And there comes the flat reply, yes. <laughs> it's just like, Wow. And you've got poor Mr. Harding and his daughter who have no understanding about what's going on around them. They're such innocents. And I think the episode ends, episode three, with vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Yeah. Well, it, again, it's part of uh, what his character did with the... Was it the previous bishop or was it one, yeah. one of the deans where they used to just engage in these uh, Bible quote competitions? Yeah, and, yes. And it, it's the simple joy of that, but that the how they had, had this this thing to finish it off and of course that pays off when he visits the dying dean uh in is it the next episode or, or yeah oh yeah later yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. so it does there is a sort of connection there mm-hmm. which is, is rather sweet to be honest so moving into episode four mm. the key scene ah. is, is at the start is rickman he's effectively the bishop now he's sitting in on for the bishop because the bishop's mm. away and he he does this big speech to um to harding uh, mm. About the additional duties and everything that's required now of the um, the wardenship of Hiram's Hospital. Mm. We're back there, and he he's saying about the new duties involved the Sunday school, and but he also is talking about casting away the useless rubbish of past centuries. Mm. And Harding's meant to feel small and unimportant and like rubbish. Mm. Um, and what it just reminded me of very personally was when I first arrived in Cambridge. And because I was naive and mm. a, a first time I was a manager, so this mm. was, I don't know, 14, 15 years ago, and I literally did that. I cast away everything that had come before me in the, in the head of department role in that job. And and I think I threw away some good stuff and I made people feel like crap because I wanted a, a new broom. We're going to start again. It's going to be like this. And therefore, I wasn't as cruel as Rickman is at Slope. But I certainly was like, we're starting again now. This is here and now. And not realising how upsetting that was for people mm. that, you know, we're starting from, completely from scratch and nothing's good enough. But I was mm. I was reminded of a moment of, of, yes, a lack of clarity that I had as someone new coming in. Additional duties and responsibilities. The house will, of course, remain to the warden. However, the bishop feels... And I agree with him that the incoming warden should paint the inside of the house every seven years and the outside every three years. And that will be a stipulation, I fancy. As to the additional duties, hitherto, if I'm rightly informed, there can hardly be said to have been any duties. I think I fulfilled the duties such as they were 
to the satisfaction of the late bishop, even though they were not stipulated. You must be aware, Mr. Harding, things are a good deal changed in Barchester. I am aware of that, Mr. Slope. And in the world at large. New men are carrying out new measures, casting away the useless rubbish of past centuries. Work is now required from every man that receives wages, and they that have to superintend the doing of work and the paying of wages are bound to see that this rule is carried out. New men, Mr. Harding, are needed in this new world. And believe me, they are forthcoming in the Church of England as elsewhere. But new generations always do that. It's it's why we have, you know, um, what are they called? Not focus groups, but um, think tanks yeah. full of teenagers telling us that everything should go online now because everybody's <laughs> yes. got a smartphone. And you think, yeah. well, that's, not everybody. That's not going to work yeah. for everyone, exactly. No. Yeah. You know, and, and this is the kind of, again, the society you have needs to em embrace everybody. Yeah. But but new generations come along, and again they assume that everything's the way they should be, the way they think it is, and uh -huh. they don't. They do. They, I mean, it's the baby with the bathwater, isn't it, to a certain extent? Yeah. It's, you know. You, I mean, yes, new ideas, fresh ideas. You know, we must be patient and all that kind of thing. But equally, you know, there are there are some things that are actually worth hanging on to, and and it's it's learning. Uh, and of course, when you come in through the door, you don't. You know, you haven't a clue. You haven't yeah. a clue. I mean. If if you look at this story from Slope's point of view, all he sees are these doddery old men who refuse to change. Yes. You know, and actually, if you, if you make Slope the hero and and decide that everything he does is absolutely fair and right, you know, uh, you can actually you you suddenly can see the other side of it as he may have a point it, to a certain extent. He may have a yeah. point. But the way he does it, I is, mean, the, he goes he's an insufferable, awful snob as yes. well. Yes, and he's I mean, cruel. There's, there's a yeah. There's a bit about we don't really want to see the the unwashed in our in our lovely spanking cathedrals. <laughs> we'll have service. We'll have services for that class yes, of person. Yes, that's in, the idea. It's those men, isn't it? Those twelve men who can't mm. write. Um, that apart mm. from the one that they, they, he doesn't want them in the cathedral because mm. they are old and smelly, effectively. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, so we we get introduced to the the prospect of Mister Quiverful, who is this? It's very Dickensian names. These aren't they? Mm. Um, who, and his 14 children. Yes, and because he has 14 <laughs> children, he's described as extremely married, <laughs> which I loved. I loved. And extremely poor. Yes. He's a very, he's a very poor man. Yes. Um, and he has a very desperate wife who, to be fair, doesn't doesn't give the impression she's had 14 children. She doesn't no. look that knackered. No, not really. But, but, she's, but um, she is a, a lovely character. That's Maggie Jones, isn't it? Yes, Maggie Jones, Corrie, who yeah. I only ever really think of as uh, from the Blue blue Carbuncle in Sherlock Holmes. Oh, Sherlock I think of her as um, Blanche she's Corrie. Yeah. She's the, um, the wife, sorry, the... The, the 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 sister of the of the goose who, who's providing the goose for Christmas, uh -huh. uh, and uh, and uh, yeah, so that, that's the cameo I remember her from. But uh, but she's actually she's quite wonderful in this. To be she honest. is, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a wonderful scene. Now. It's, it's not in this episode. But she told you mustn't cry. <laughs> yes, Mrs. Paris said I can, I will do stuff she provided you snuffling. don't cry. You're not allowed to cry. It's, do and... not cry. <laughs> Exactly, and it's just brilliant because Mrs. Proudy is like she's not allowed herself to cry to get to the position mm. she's got to, and that she's had to sort of turn off the emotion as a woman to get to that point. So she won't have this woman mm. crying. She demands that strength, and that's fascinating, isn't it? But mm. it's also hilarious. Mrs. Quiverful, what a delightful surprise! Is it decided yet when you shall move to Barchester? 
Mrs. Proudie, I fear we are not to move to Barchester at all. Not at all? Whatever do you mean? The hospital is in Barchester. You are to have the hospital, therefore it follows that you must move to Barchester. Oh, Mrs. Proudie, it isn't for my sake, nor even Quiverful's. It's for 14 children. 14 children! <laughs> Stop crying at once and tell me what this is all about. You will find me very sympathetic, but I cannot stand to see a grown woman crying. Well, Mrs. Quiverful? Mr. Slope came to Puddingdale this morning and said it was the wish of the bishop that Mr. Harding should have the hospital. I also wanted to talk about the visit to the Quiverfuls, where mm. he finally discovers, Slope discovers that Eleanor has £1,200 a year, so she's the one he should be yes. pursuing rather than Signora Neroni. But, um... Who is a married woman? <laughs> and he is... Who is a married woman? Sorry. Signora Neroni, is she not? Oh, yes, but we don't really know where he is. No, yeah, he's not. she's not really available. Yeah, exactly. But, um... But that's part of his downfall, is the shame yes. of pursuing this married woman. But he's offered sherry by Mr Quiverful and he turns him yes. down. But, but <laughs> it's all about, you know that this sherry there is just to cope with the children and the fact that he's extremely married. Mm. But doesn't he give in and have the sherry in the end, Slope? Because he's, he's suddenly in this position of like, well, okay, I can't well, Again, that me. parallels quite nicely with the, the two types of wine in the previous episode. Yeah, as well. exactly. It's kind of like, it's, there's obviously a lower class of sherry. Yes. And Slope's this is, really this is lowering himself. This obviously your, your Aldi yeah. sherry rather than your Waitrose. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, so what else happens in episode four? Well, there was a bit of blessing. He blesses the children, which is a lovely scene where he goes yes. along this row of hundreds of children and has to bless them all. And, he and obviously one of them calls him Mr. Slop. Yes. <laughs> which was apparently Trollope's joke. His real name. There was a real... Slop person, and that was that was the idea. Was that was his real name before he changed it to Slope, wasn't it? Is that his idea? Yeah, something like that. We also we also see a little bit of the uh, the Stanhopes scheming uh, to get hold of Eleanor's dosh by trying to fix fix her up with the artist sculptor. Oh yes, yeah, so Bertie, an all round bad egg of Bertie, Bertie Stanhope, who is just he's he is the fop, isn't he? He's just like the idiot. Yeah. Well. I, uh, he's, a, he's a work shy fop amongst work shy fops. I feel the whole family feel all, all the children feel very foppish. Quite I frankly. mean, translate work shy. Yeah, transplanted to now, he would be in Made in Chelsea. Bertie Stanhope. He, he, he might. He might be me, mate. Apart <laughs> <laughs> no, from the lack of no, you're lack of poshness. Like that. No. Yeah, yeah. no. The lack of the lack of purpose. The indolence. Oh, I you. see. The indolence. Yes, you're very indolent. I should, that's true. Um, but so, basically, uh, there's a certain amount of, of what, as I put it down, the machinations of gits. <laughs> machinations of gits. In the sense that, oh, there's a woman with lots of money. I can have a lazy life. All I have to do. <laughs> like yes. Well, look at yourself. There's some quite interesting views on marriage in there as well, which I thought were quite fun. Yeah. But, uh, so we work towards the reversal, which saying? is... No, sorry, I was just to say, what was he, what was he, says? What? he says? He says, the child will most likely die. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Yes, yes, like that's absolute... really strong. I wrote that, that the baby will very likely die. Honestly, yeah. Well, there's a lot of cynicism around dead husbands, and I, I just think it's, it's rather rather uh, telling those scenes. But anyway, it's also sorry, it's also reminds of the historical context, and that death was more common, and yes. you know there was there was opportunities because death was always a possibility for anyone at any point. Mm. So that might you know 
help you along your way in life that some people might die Indeed. who are who are not useful to you <laughs> yeah so we we move towards the end of the episode and this is where we get the great reversal that suddenly slope and proudy are, are on opposite sides and it's mm. because slope is suddenly after this money that ellen has got so he decides that um he's going to reverse it so that um harding has it harding has the hiram's hospital the wardenship of mm. hiram's hospital we're back on that one mm. um but Mrs. Proudy is like, well, no, I've picked out curtains with <laughs> with Mrs. Quiverful. Well, there's, a, there's, there's a wonderful flounce, isn't there, where, where Nigel Hawthorne insists he wants to talk to the bishop and not his underling. Yes. And and, and the bishop has one of his headaches. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so he, he can't speak headaches. to him. Yes. So um, uh, and and he refuses and he flounces. He has a proper flounce yeah. and he refuses to talk to this Slope character. Yeah. And again, a lot of the uh, uh, the dislike of Slope sort of feeds uh, quite a lot of the scenes uh, in the later episode with the letter. But we'll come to that as well. Yeah. But, but what I loved about the <laughs> the end of episode four, particularly, yeah. is that they all go. They all uh, in part of the flirty nonsense, and all the all the. Uh, bonnety nonsense they actually they actually have to fetch their bonnets so they can go, go and look at the moon yes but there's actually this line fetch your bonnets yes i know again play to having fun with the bonnetiness definitely oh indeed yeah um but yes machinations are afoot uh, are. mr quiverful uh, there are now two candidates for the wardenship of the hospital I mean, uh, the the public in the 1850s must have been on the edge of their seats, mustn't they? <laughs> <laughs> Who will and, be and the warden both, of Harris Hospital? I must indeed, find indeed. out. And and both of them have legitimate claims. And of course, Donald really doesn't want it. He keeps refusing it on the yeah. grounds that he doesn't want to be called a robber and a thief. And yes, and he's this. worried about the Jupiter, isn't he? He's worried about the Jupiter slagging him off again, yes. which I can understand. And nepotism and all this kind of thing. Yeah. So basically, uh, slope in his machinations because basically this he now thinks that he can use uh, getting the uh, wardenship back to Mister Harding as a way into the pants. Oh, sorry, into the um, <laughs> fortune of, of Eleanor of of Mrs. Bold. Yes, Eleanor Bold, <laughs> or yeah. the former Mrs. Bold, if you like. Yeah. Bold. Yes. <laughs> so. The Machinations of Episode 5, um, mm. it made me remember Sayre's Law, which was first time I ever came about across this, was um, a head librarian at Singapore Management University when I was doing some work there. And uh, a wonderful lady called Gulchin Crib, brilliant name, Gulchin mm-hmm. Crib. Anyway, she said to me, what you've, got to rem- what you've got to remember, Andy, is that academic politics is the most vicious and bitter form of politics because the stakes are so low. And <laughs> yes, and that is actually Sayre's law. Um, I think she said it to me at the time as if it was hers, but I didn't realise it was a quote. But it's so true of Cambridge and my experiences there and Oxford before that. But it's so absolutely true of the church here, isn't it? What the stakes here mm. between high and low church are so unimportant. But it, but it's fought for so strongly because, yeah, the stakes are low. It's, it's fascinating. I have been to Puddingdale this morning and spoken to Mr. Quiverful, he has abandoned his claim to the hospital because he is now aware that Mr. Harding is desirous to return. Mr. Quiverful has not abandoned anything. His lordship's word has been pledged and it must be respected. Perhaps I ought not to interfere. Certainly you ought not. But yet I have thought it my duty to recommend to the bishop that he acknowledge Mr. Harding's claim. Mr. Harding ought to acknowledge his own claim. It is clear that in the interview I had with Mr. Harding, he misunderstood my intentions. Your intentions? 
the bishop's intentions. It is not your business to have intentions. It is not your business to conduct interviews. It is not your business to manage this affair. Will you answer me, sir? Who sent you to see Mr. Quiverful this morning? Do you intend to answer me, sir? I think it would be better for me not to answer such a question. Did anyone send you, sir? There's a, there's a wonderful thing. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, actually, I, I, in terms of the technic, technical side of uh, this series, I mean, I don't actually think it particularly thrills you in terms of the awe and majesty of the filming or anything like that. You no. Know? But but there is a lovely moment uh, when uh, Mr Harding is playing his cello and all the family are on the steps at uh, Plumstead. Yes. And it sort of sets... And I just I just thought... I, I, in terms of framed shots within the programme, that, that was the one that stuck out for me as, as just a very mm. nicely framed shot. But in the course of this, basically... Uh, this situation, all this stuff's going on, and of course he's just obliviously playing his cello. Yeah, it's lovely. Um, and um, <laughs> the machinations of Slope are going on, and and he goes to see Mister Quiverfill and basically talks him out of his yes his right to his uh, challenge. Talks him out of what he's promised him. Yeah. Yes, and and but not your. Was it a promise though? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I know. And and he and he relies on his discretion. <laughs> Yes. Not to tell anybody about this. And he promptly tells his missus, who goes storming off to the bishop's palace, doesn't see the bishop, because we all know that the actual bishop of... of Borchester... Barchester. Of Barchester is his wife. Yeah. Mrs Quiverful actually says, Mrs Proudy is the bishop of Barchester and yes. Slope, her creature. She sees right through. She she Absolutely. says it out loud, that's what's going on. Yeah. But, of course, this is where we get the... Uh, about it being settled... And, and before before this, this before we get to that, can I just say I love the bishop's line. He says, "I'm rather weary of that hospital," and I wrote down, "Me too." Please <laughs> 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 stop talking about the fucking hospital. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, carry on. But uh, but basically, we end up with a, a very uh, a significant scene where the three of them are in the bishop's office. Yes, Slope and the two Proudies, and it becomes a standoff over who should leave yes. because Mrs Proudy is in, insistent that her will should be uh, about the Quiverfills particularly should be the one that prevails and in the course of this incident basically Slope I feel shoots himself completely in the foot and his 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 doom is almost assured from, from, from that point on quite frankly because he has taken things under his under his own into his own hands, he's taken you know he's actually uh, tried to manipulate things and sp for speaking as the bishop. Yeah. And uh, and and but in this first scene, she is the one who actually has to back down. Mister Slope, I will trouble you, if you please, to leave the apartment. I wish to speak to my lord alone. His lordship has summoned me on most important diocesan business. Do you bandy words with me, you ungrateful man? My leaving him at the present moment is, I fear, impossible. My lord, will you do me the favour to beg Mr Slope to leave this room? Uh. My lord... 
Is Mr. Slip to leave this room, or am I? Well, um... My lord, I am waiting for an answer. My dear... Mr. Slope and I are, 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 are very busy. And I kind of felt, I was quite surprised. I thought, oh, well, he has, Slope has one, but that was to really underestimate Miss, Mrs. Priority because really, you know... Well, from that, now on, it's war, isn't it? Yes, it's, it's absolutely <laughs> And the bishop, and, you know, uh, the bishop's uh, going to pay for saying to her, Mr. Slope and I are very busy, and she has to leave. You think, oh, he's dead. He's dead now. Yeah. Like... Well, there's, there's a lovely bit when she goes back to see Mrs. Quiverful and it, just talking about weak and foolish husbands. <laughs> yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think they, they've... Yeah, we got their number, mate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it's also a strange thing about uh, in in that middle of that episode where they're talking about uh, happiness and love and and God's chattels and everything, and there's a mention of the English novel, and this isn't it's, it's almost like we're in an English novel and they're making a reference. I can't decide whether that's very very postmodern or whether it's just it's just Plato playing. With I know I don't know. I see. I don't know because I've not read Barchester, the Chronicles, mm. but yes, it, it was very meta. Um, yeah, it was wonderful because because it wasn't it. There's no happiness in love except at the end of an English novel. I think is what mm. um, Signora Neroni says. Mm. Um, she is so. She's kind of the voice from the future, almost mm. uh, looking back on this. And mm. she's a fascinating character in that way, in that she's kind of she's kind of aside from everything. Um, mm. But she loves interference. She, at one point she says, what's the point of having a friend if you can't interfere in their lives? <laughs> I just thought that was so honest. But it was well, just yes. a brilliant sort that's, of... That's thing. why I gave up on my friends. Yeah. I, can't be, I, can't, I can't be interfered with, Andrew. I cannot be... And I, I can't think, call you Andrew. Can't, I'll be interfered with. I can't yeah. be interfered with at all. But I just loved her lines to Rickman here. And it was mm. like... One line she says is, your future is full of fat rectories. <laughs> <laughs> which says everything you need to know doesn't it it says everything mm. she completely gets his ambition she knows that's what he wants he wants the the pomp mm. and circumstance of that position he wants the grounds when the archdeacon when not the, when the dean dies um she says i bet you've counted the acres already <laughs> it's like wow 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 the search for happiness is always in vain we look for happiness on earth. We ought to be content to hope for it in heaven. Nonsense. You preach a doctrine you know you don't believe. You say there is no earthly happiness. Yet you long to be a bishop. You have the natural ambition of a man. Of course you have. And therefore I say you don't believe the doctrine you preach. I are delighted in these arguments, Signora Neroni, but your heart does not go along with them. My heart? <laughs> There's no such thing in my composition. No heart. It is a heavy charge to bring against yourself, and I cannot find you guilt. You are in no position to give a verdict on the matter. You have not tried me, nor have you any intention of doing so. You will take your vows where they will result in something far more substantial than a love as ghost-like as mine. Your love would satisfy the dreams of a monarch. Or an archbishop. Well, to be fair, in the in the latter half of the or the middle part of this episode, um, yeah, Slope is definitely thinking with his cock more than anything. Oh, he? totally, totally. He starts writing his letters of um, 
uh, of scheming, yeah. scheming letters. And a lot of the rest of the episode is taken up with the fallout from him writing to, to Eleanor, to Mrs. Bold. This is where oh, I started God. to fall in, fall out of love with the Barchester. Um, um, yes, whatever. yes, you too. I felt from this point on, it became far too much about Eleanor and people courting her. And episode six and seven, bonnety nonsense. Yes. And I was like, I was really excited by the end of episode three. I was like, this is all set up. Mm. It's brilliant. And episode four mm. was good and five mm. until it started to be about who's going to marry Eleanor. I don't care. Mm. I don't care who's going to marry her. I mean, I know we are supposed to feel outraged and that, you know, that's probably very good writing. But we are supposed to feel outraged about all the shenanigans over her getting a letter from someone they deem inappropriate yes. in their house. And it and it basically becoming everybody else's business what's in this bloody letter. Yeah. And, it's, and it just becomes this massive scandal, which actually leads to uh, Eleanor being so affronted that she's not welcome, that she will, at the end of, by the end of the episode, she has actually departed from Plumstead, you know, presumably never to return under those circumstances. We should also But mention, of course, also, yeah. it does give us a chance to meet Mr... Francis Arabin. Arabin, I was just about to say, mm. who is the dullest person ever. In the world. In the world ever. And, he's and just, I know. He's this good <laughs> clergyman who is boring as anything, and he's just like, you know he's meant to be the intended for Eleanor because he's boring yes. and virtuous and dull and just can't express his feelings. casting issue as much as anything. Oh, maybe, because he's he's not great, is he? Who is he? I mean, that's what I'm saying. It, it, it doesn't sort of... If, if, you know, if one of the sort of more high-profile actors of the time had been... Yes, for that, it might have would invested him with more, more interest. Significant. Yeah. yeah, I haven't got I mean, I know he's he's supposed to be dull. And I mean, that's part of his his natural um, whateverness. But he is, he is... God, he is dull. He really is. So moving into episode six. So she's mm-hmm. left Plumstead. My page. She's furious. Um, mm-hmm. This is when we get Madeline saying you've counted the acres already. Ah, well, episode six is, is rather nice because we do get Gatherer Hayde and we do get uh, Professor Lightfoot. So we do! <laughs> we get Trevor Baxter and we get... what's the Who's Gatherer Hayde? Richard Leach. Yes. And we also have the arrival, or, or the, the questioned arrival, of Sir Omicron, don't we? <laughs> Yes, Sir Omicron <laughs> has arrived. Um, it's like wow. So that's Trollope being again being quite prescient. Um, so we've got the dean. He's called Trefoil, and it's all mm. about how he's going to die. And everyone else is wondering about whether he's going to die, what this means. And the only person who actually cares truly is Harding, and he's actually bothered. Oh, that's that scene. Yeah, uh, where he's he's talking to the dying dean. Yeah, it's it's. it's I mean, uh, for your not for your consideration, <laughs> Mr. Donald Pleasance. Yes, <laughs> I know. It's the perfect BAFTA-winning scene. It isn't is it? really BAFTA nomination, really there and then. Yeah. I don't think he got yeah. one though, did he? No, probably not. No. no, I think let's look at the BAFTA list. The series won a BAFTA award for design. Was also nominated oh. for drama series and serial, costume design, graphics, makeup, sound supervisor, video, and mm. video lighting. Not for the acting at all. Interesting. No. Which is in- it is interesting, isn't it? Because you'd be think that maybe Rickman or um, Geraldine McEwen would be up mm. for it, but certainly it, Donald it, Pleasant. It, it does have the air of being a Jonathan Powell production. Uh, oh, we must, we must do the classics. We must. Do yes, them. darling. <laughs> do you suppose the good Lord really cares who is to be the warden of Hiram's hospital? Yes, of course it does. 
He does care. But I imagine his way of caring is rather more commendable than that of our good friends in Barchester. What else happens in episode six of Note? Oh, well, it's the uh, it's the party, isn't it? It's the, 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 um, the uh, outdoor... Oh, Miss Blacklock's uh, party. Miss Blacklock's party, yes. The, yes. The, the garden party. That's, I was trying to think, what's, the, what's that word that means outdoors? <laughs> <laughs> it's the garden party, which is, which is filmed on a wonderfully grey day, yeah. <laughs> in part. I think... But the, but the bits... And, I, and there are two proposals. That's the thing about this. There yes. are two proposals. So this also very personally took me back because my mum used to run garden fates um, as the vicar's right. wife. And they're always... Did at, people die? No. <laughs> at stately homes and they're always rather... rather Spoke of Did the they past. They do medieval games and larks. Well, Mrs. Thor- Miss Thorne, that's what she lives for, isn't it? Ursula Howells. It's like mm. this is her thing. She's got nothing in her life, so she invests everything into these occasional garden parties, bless her heart. But mm-hmm. you've got this very Gilbert and Sullivan character who later goes on to be in the Miss Marple. So this is casting from David Giles going on, who he, I don't remember what his name of his character is. Um, the one who, yes, he seemed to have. He's said to have died, but he hasn't died. Oh, Harry Greenacre. Yes, that's right. Happy. Is it Harry or Happy? Happy Harry. Harry, And he does some ill-advised, what's it called? He's basically the local twit, isn't he? Yes. He's the local, local, I'll do that, I'll do that, I'll do that. No worries, mate, I'll do that. And And you have to get people to join in. And the joke is... So you have to get some idiot to do it. Yeah, and the joke (laughs) is that he's assumed dead, but very quickly. It's almost like Turlow in Warriors of the Deep when he says the Doctor's dead immediately as soon as he hits the water. Um... But well, you know, they, they, they're innocent times. Yes, <laughs> and it's all he's very nearly dead. <laughs> there's this ongoing thing about whether he's dead or not, which is very mm. much of the 1850s. And well, I don't know when was Gilbert and Sullivan, probably around that. But there's mm. Yeoman of the Guard. It's all about whether this character has died or not. And I remember doing a Gilbert and Sullivan stage, and we had to sing this song. It was all about is he dead yet, or is, or is he is he not? And it went on for ages. Um, I think it was very much humour of the time. Which I don't know whether it translates. There's also much significance given to, what's the word, champagne and cold chicken. Tell me more. Champagne and cold chicken in one of the tents. It seems to be that's that's what's there to be to be had. And of course Bertie finds the champagne and uh, and also <laughs> finds Harry Greenacre and gets very, very pissed. <laughs> so that's that's all. Yeah, all Bertie finds a soulmate, doesn't he, really? Because he just he, he does just really just wants to get pissed. In the local idiot. Yeah. The idiot finds the idiot, yes. The, and they're now running the Conservative Party. No, no, no. Ah, I might have guessed. Bertie, where have you been? Here for the most part, with my good friend Harry Greenacre. He died earlier today. Yes, I died performing valiant feats. That's why I got this bandage on me head The only people who don't enjoy the party are Harding, because it's not really his thing. And also, I think he's still upset about the Dean dying and no one else really giving a damn. But you've got Arabin, who's just not enjoying the party, because he wouldn't enjoy any party, because he's dull as anything. Um, but uh, well, he, he also doesn't enjoy it because I think we we know the ob- object of his affections, and he keeps seeing other men with her, pursuing, it, pursuing her. So, 
So he doesn't enjoy the event half as much, even though it's in his honour. This is the other thing. He's only there because the event is actually in his honour. And <laughs> and yet, basically, uh, Eleanor receives two proposals, one of which she, she belts across the ear roll. Yes, the other one, Slope. She, she, doesn't, she doesn't belt to the other one across the ear roll. But, of course, Slope has also got designs on the Dean ship. Um, of course. In, in the course of this, yeah, so there's a lot of stuff going on yeah. in at this garden party. I, this, the little scene that I will play in, which I just love, and it was just so mm. silly that Mrs. Proudy is so rampant and so so dismissive of everyone, regardless of the fact that she actually says at one point of the Harding family that they're very unstable. And you can't think mm. of anyone being more stable than Mr. Harding and his daughter, Eleanor. I mean, they're just so boringly stable and nice and, be- and lovely and naive. And everyone else is mm. layered and, and mm. manipulative. But when this is questioned, when Mrs. Proudy is questioned about whether they're unstable, she says, cunningly concealed. <laughs> yeah. So she, she's making out that somehow they're managing to conceal how, how unstable they are, which is just complete nonsense. But um, she's just... If she's got it in for someone, she's got it in for them, hasn't she? Naughty woman. Mr Harding's daughter. A very unstable family altogether. Very unstable. Mr Harding? Unstable. But cunningly concealed. I don't know, really. When, when you actually sort of look at the world building, if you like. I mean, this yeah. presumably is the world as it was. I mean, you actually do feel that in amongst the bonnety nonsense... That she is at least consistent, and she is at least a, a a person in charge of her own destiny yes. to a certain extent. I mean, the thing about it is, is if uh, the bishop gets hit by a, a wagon and four, you know, that's it. Her influence is gone. Yeah. she's lost it completely. Yeah. Uh, what fascinates me is is all the stuff that's going on around. Is basically it's it's all about who's going to get to shag my daughter. There's a lot of that stuff going on. Is which of these gentlemen am I going to allow to to marry my daughter? Yeah, and it and it's all a bit. Excuse me, does she not get any say in this? <laughs> well, that's interesting because she, obviously she does because she can reject. The yes, office. because she slaps slope and she rejects Bertie because he's an idiot. And I love the fact that as soon as she rejects him, he says, "You've made the right decision." <laughs> and, and she says, "I know." <laughs> That. that was a brilliant exchange the fact that he knows I, yeah. he should not have asked her yeah. and she knows well, i was a bit I, I was a bit bothered that actually because i mean obviously i didn't know the books but yeah. i did i did worry that uh their sort of evil scheming from a couple of episodes earlier was going to pay off for them and i was oh. a bit annoyed about that oh i see i don't like it when evil schemers uh, get their way get their way yes well it didn't happen don't worry i have neither the ambition of a slope nor the integrity of an arabin but I'm more amusing than the two of them put together. You mean... Yes, Mrs. Bold. I mean... <laughs> and you will be even more angry if I tell you it was Charlotte's idea. You may tell Charlotte. What? Tell her... You almost received the same reply as Mr. Slope. But my pride got the better of me. Uh, I don't understand. But I will pass on the message. I assume you are rejecting my proposal. 
I am. Kindly, I hope. With more sweetness and grace than I deserve. You're a wise woman, Mrs. Bold. And you've made the right decision. I know. Moving into episode seven. The Quiverfuls finally have Hiram's hospital. The wardenship has been secured. It was funny, actually, because I, I genuinely felt uh, watching this. I, I saw it because I, I, like, so I watched it twice and I genuinely um, got through to uh, the end of episode six yesterday. And I just thought, is there anything left to happen? Not really. <laughs> Not really. Uh, and I, 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 there's a couple of the episodes, actually, where the first... Well, certainly in episode six, but to a certain extent in, a, in one of the earlier episodes as well, is that the first part of the episode is basically a recap yes. told in a room. It's the garden party so debrief. Like, what happened at the garden yeah, party? Yeah. And you get about 15, 20 minutes of the episode is just them saying what happened in last week's episode. <laughs> I'm just trying to wonder, is this because they just assume that, well, people might tune in for the last episode, but and we need to tell them where we are in terms of the plot. I know, it's, it's, it's odd, isn't it? Weird. It goes on for a very long time. You're very right. Yes. Um, basically, then we get to say goodbye to Bertie. Bertie finally does his he does his cartoons. Yes, and, in temporary disgrace. Off. Yes, he, he's 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 banished back to Italy. Yes, <laughs> yeah. By his father, we do get a nice little cameo for his father. There, yeah, so. and you've got more lovely um, um, Harding and his music, and how he feels it celebrates God, and it makes sense of the contradictions and confusions that surround him. He just doesn't we understand. Do, we do get yeah. the downfall of Slope in the last episode. We do. Which is always, which is fun. And we do get that lovely line, Puddingdale. <laughs> <laughs> we do. But can I just say, I was really surprised. So you get all the ch- chair theatre going on that Madeline yeah. runs. And Slope's yeah. denied two chairs before he's allowed the third one. Yes. And it's interesting because she's wearing what looks like a wedding dress in this scene. And it's very deliberate. Um mm. And it's all about who's going to be Dean and, mm. you know, and therefore who's going to be the Dean's wife. And yes. she knows that Eleanor's turned him down, but she's playing with him in front of other people. And it's very cruel. It's, oh, yes. It's very cruel. And I actually felt sympathetic towards Slope in this scene. Was I alone in that? Or did you feel sympathetic too? It cannot possibly be that the lady was foolish enough to refuse you. Oh, we can't believe that, can we? Perhaps the widow prefers to wait. For a bishop? Yes, I see how it is. Widows are proverbially cautious. You should have let her alone until the new hat was on your head, and then you could have handed her the golden key of the deanery. Perhaps you'll favour me by changing the subject, Signora. Certainly, but one word first. If the lady was foolish enough to refuse you, go to her again wearing your dean's hat, and I'll wager my shawl for your shovel. She'll not refuse you then. Well, sir, I think you're speaking of the lady in a very unjustifiable manner. Very well, I will not speak of the lady. I will sing of the lady. It's good to be merry and wise, Mr. Slope. It's good to be honest and true. It's good to be off with the old love, Mr. Slope, before you are on with the new. (laughs) Signora. Mr. Slope. I find your behavior abominable. wish you all a good afternoon uh the problem is that they are just toying with him they are it's, it's, the, it's the cat and mouse yeah. thing and i actually feel that i mean maybe i'm just more sympathetic to underdogs generally but i feel that once people are down you shouldn't 
kick them again. Yeah, know, I feel the same. Again. But that that's that's again presumably the structure of the book. It's you know yeah. you have you have to keep on. His fall has to be spectacular and continually spectacular and awful things have to happen to him. And to a certain extent, if this was a person, you like to think you would feel a certain amount of sympathy. But when it's a character in a novel, you're supposed to find it amusing, which is always part of the problem I find with a lot of, uh, you know, to a certain extent, even like sitcoms and everything like that, you know, there comes a point at which you've got to give somebody a break. You've yeah. got to give somebody a break, yeah. you know. And, and uh, no, it is a very, it's a very cruel scene. That is a very, very cruel scene. The reason why she's so anti him and why she she treats him so cruelly is because of his ambition, because mm. we hear that the stand-up fam- family motto is no ambition. That's what they mm. live by, and that's why they're all such fops hanging around Lake Como looking at butterflies, mm. and you know carried away around on sofas because they they have literally no ambition and see that as wrong. So that's mm. why she she attacks him so badly because she thinks ambition mm. is tedious and she hates it in people. Mm. But um, but the other side of it is, of course, yeah. that in the course of his spectacular downfall, where he's going to be let go by the bishop, yeah, and he's going to end up uh, being able to the, the parish of Puddingdale, yes, Puddingdale, with, <laughs> with its fifty pound a year. When yeah. at the beginning of the episode, he thought he was going to be the dean. Yeah, uh, I mean that's that's quite a fall. But there is a wonderful. He does get that wonderful. May God forgive you, and we and. And, and and may you live forever. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know that you uh, may you live forever. It's, it's may you both live forever, isn't it? It's the the, the point is you have to put up with each other for the rest of your lives, yeah. and you're both yeah. idiots. Yes. I think that you had better now retire. It will be better that you leave the palace at the earliest possible opportunity. I I will enclose a check for any balance that may be due to you. If you wish to remain in the neighbourhood. And pledge yourself never again to see that woman. The bishop will mention your name to Mr. Quiverful, who now requires a curate at Puddingdale. There is a stipend of £50 a year. Puddingdale? Give you, madam, for the manner in which you have treated me. As to the bishop, I pity him. May you both live forever. I was going to say we also in in this we also get the the strangely uh, being set up uh, was it take take me in the garden as it were uh, basically uh, uh, Eleanor has gone to visit <laughs> has gone to visit Miss Miss Thorne yes. at the big house and they've arranged it so so oh oh who but oh it's Mister Arabin oh he's come to see you. and so they could have some time together yes. and they go off to the the formal garden. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> and finally get it together, as it were. Yes, and and all things are wonderful. And suddenly they have a brilliant of I, I again. This is part and parcel of this kind of story where everything starts to have to you know re- resolutions which aren't necessarily foreseen or deserving. Is that I know who could be dean. How about 
Mr. Arabin could be Dean. Oh, that's a good idea. And suddenly everybody's happy again. You yeah. Know, apart from Slope, obviously. Yeah. I was I was watching um, uh, the new David Copperfield film yeah. recently because I'd heard it was very good and very amusing. It's, it's a very it's a very beautiful looking film, but uh, there's the same kind of. Uh, uh, Uriah Heep's character is just the same kind of role mm. in it, you know. But there's this this whole thing about the pieces have to be moved on the board so you can get the happy ending. And I feel that somehow it it feels a little bit telegraphed in too in deliberate. Yeah. Whether, whether but, again, I, 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 part of me suspects that Barchester was going to get two series, and then it, they'd film six of them, and suddenly they decided they they weren't going to get a second series, so they had to wind everything up in the last 20 yeah, although, But of course, that just feels like that. But it could just be the nature of the book. You know? yeah. I mean, I think I'm not so convinced because um, the next story doesn't really feature Harding or the Proudies. Right. It's kind of, it's a right. reset and it's a different place in mm. Barsetshire, but it's like, they, they mm. crop in from time to time, but in a way mm. that, you know, Donald Pleasance and and thingy um Geraldine McEwen wouldn't have been happy to come in as cameos so it kind of is mm. hard for, to see how it would work mm. um I just wanted to mention in that final episode the lovely scenes between Grantley and Harding where mm. in which Harding turns down the deanship because it's that is a mm. surprise I didn't think that was telegraphed that Harding is suddenly offered the mm. deanship before Arabin but mm. he turns it down because he said it would cost him his reason because he worries mm. about the the Jupiter, and mm. he says to Grantley, "I wish I had your spirit and your love of combat." And there's a lovely contrast mm. between the two men, and yet they see each other really properly for the first time. And it's at this mm. point that I think Grantley suddenly appreciates Harding and works out, "Oh, he's such a lovely man and much better than me." And, and it also sits yeah. off with that because uh, I think it feeds in from the previous scene where they go on about ambition being yes. tedious. Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah dead right. So, it's, it's very well connected. So it all leads to, well, mm. we've had Slope's downfall. Um, mm. The Quiverful's moving in. Harding meets Bunce again. He greets his old mm. friend. Charming um, scene, isn't it? Yes. To finish it off, it is a, a very charming you scene. Have, you know, he goes back to the hospital and, and, and uh, you know, and they just talk about, you know, sort of growing old and, and being old mates, really. And, and he, he calls him a true Christian and he says, is that what I be? <laughs> is that what I be? <laughs> But then mm. you've got the final speech from Grantley in which he's come to recognise um, what Harding is. So we'll play in Grantley's speech about Mr Harding, um, our Mr Harding. Not a man who should be toasted at public dinners. Not a man who should be spoken of with conventional absurdity as the perfect divine. He's simply a good man. Without guile, believing humbly in the religion he has striven to teach and guided by the precepts he has striven to learn. My friends, I give you our Mr. Harding. Our Mr. Mr. Harding. So, where do so we? That wraps it up. Yeah, where it does. Where do we stand on all of this? Well, 
the problem I have with a lot of these shows is I, I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I, I enjoyed watching. I mean, let's face it. I, I actually enjoyed it so much. I watched it twice. I know what part of the reason is. It's one of those things that had been on the shelf for a very long time and probably wouldn't have been my first choice. Yeah. If I if I'm if I'm thinking of an entertaining evening, I don't tend to go to the bonnety nonsense. Of course, it's in crisis. It's you know, but um, on the whole, it, it's it's nicely made. It's it's well written. It's beautifully performed. I just I, I I do I can't help but feel that sometimes there there was a, a very BBC thing of this is the sort of television you're supposed to be watching yeah. and this is the sort of literature you're supposed to be interested in, and sometimes sometimes I feel that I I'm not drawn to that kind of drama that kind of yeah no I get that yeah uh, and it's interesting yeah. as well because at the same sort in the same sort of era you did get the uh, you would get the adaptations of the classic novels. Uh, but this would kind of it had more of a sense of again maybe it's the Jonathan Powell thing it it had this sense of itself important yes if you like. we're trying to make significant television yes. this is a significant drama for the year this is what we're going to put forward for the BAFTAs and all this yeah, kind of yeah, thing. yeah yeah and somehow to a certain extent it didn't look lavish well I think I was I haven't said it yet but I think a lot of the location footage because it's on video. It mm. just really doesn't sit right with this period and with Trollope. And occasionally you get choir boys as well who look like they were from 1982. I didn't buy the period setting all the way through. And I think that was because of technology. I, I, it was videotape all the way through, wasn't it? Yes. Was, yeah. That was, that was the, the, it did strike me as, as there was something that didn't look yeah. expensive about exactly. it. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And that that spoilt it for me a little because it's just very much mm. of that early eighties. Let's do it all on video thing, which is mm. is odd. If it had been on film, mm. I think it would have felt grander and more seventies maybe. Mm. But um, yeah, I, I, it's also one of those things that's fallen to a certain extent off the radar, hasn't it? It's not one of those uh, serials that people talk about. Mm. You know, well, I mean, we are obviously, yeah. <laughs> but it's not one of those serials that people go go. Oh, and of course, there was the brilliant Barchester. You know, I, mean, I I I was messing it up in my head weirdly with to serve them all my days, which is nothing oh, to do. Oh, so with, different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it felt the same kind of thing. It yeah. felt like well, yeah. you know, that kind of sort of weekly. It's almost like yeah, we've made this. We'll put it out, and it's gone. Yeah, it's it didn't feel. It didn't feel significant. Yet you've know, you've got an absolute you know a cast. You know, you've got, like say Susan Hampshire. You've got you know Donald Pleasant. You've got really, really. I mean uh, Nigel Hawthorne. Yeah. These are huge, huge actors of the time. Yeah. And yet somehow it feels all a bit inconsequential. In the yeah. End. I think what I really enjoyed about it was it still spoke to just the the follies of human nature, and there's so much that was relevant yes. to today. And um, I did like the way it dealt with religion and how people regardless of their christianity or anything are, are going to be ambitious and selfish and self-serving and well, i think if you if yeah. you remade it now those those would be the key things the stuff about making it, it would it'd be very arch and it would yes. it would be drawn towards the politics it would be drawn even towards, more yes um yeah those are the things that would be sort of picked out and 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 that's not to uh denigrate plato at all but they they aren't they aren't uh, I mean, it's not about that. It is ultimately it's some bonty nonsense with some politics in, and I think a modern production would make it a, pol a political thing with some bonty nonsense in. And I yes. just feel that the the balance isn't quite yeah. even. I in, in I also this. think if it was made today, it would be four episodes, and mm. the wardenship thing stuff would be like the first half hour of episode one, mm. just 
really. I think they'd cut through that really quickly. But it's got a lot of you know good stuff to say. I mean, it's got a lot of good stuff to say about the the role of the press in yeah. in, in in society and all this kind, and indeed the the rightness and wrongness of of inherited wealth or yeah. or you know or unearned wealth certainly. Uh-huh. And 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 again, there's a lot of very interesting stuff about the role of women in yeah, society. Yeah, I was about to say, women in society is really strong theme throughout that. And, and it is. Yeah. yeah, and it is a world on the brink of change. I mean, the the early sort of part of the industrial revolution is literally, uh, you know, the, the whole of of society, well, worldwide, but certainly in 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 Britain, is changing, and it's changing from from a more passive and sort of agricultural uh, society to an industrial society, mm. and and f- I feel that to a certain extent the Barchester series is is right on the cusp of that it's right it's it's you know this is a you're, you're sort of there's a lost world here or there's a world we are losing mm. and but we're not necessarily gaining this is a part of the philosophy of it is what you're losing and what you're gaining are sort of sort of weighed up here yeah but interestingly i don't necessarily think that the old world is better or the new world is better, but but somehow the two are in conflict. And I think that that does make for fascinating drama. There are some lovely performances in this. I absolutely, I say, uh, Pleasance is a total revelation yes, throughout, and and, and it's worth watching just to see that. And there's some great little cameos from some of the the usual suspects in terms of yeah. the acting uh, profession. Yeah, yeah. So you know, yeah, absolutely. Whether I'd recommend it to anybody, I don't know. No, I, I know. Like like you, I had it on my shelf for years, and one of the reasons I suggested it was that well, I bought this, so I should bloody watch it at some point. But it was it was, it was tough. It was tough to put in. Nice Plater, you know. I mean, yeah. Well, you like as soon as I realised it was Plater and Giles, I was like, well, yes, absolutely. But mm. um, I have to say, I struggled with the end theme music. That choral music every episode at the mm. end was awful. Oh, wasn't that terrible? Oh. I mean, the, the the end credits on one or two of them did seem to last a very long time. Well, I think I think on the end of episode seven it did because that was the BBC thing where they'd put all of the credits on the final episode, ah. and so that's Maybe. when you finally find out who did make for the and VHS everything. release. Yes, <laughs> it's like the very last um, because when I Claudius was edited together, the very last ending where it actually finally played the theme music, it had the that entire cast of iClaudius in the end credits, and it goes on for about 300 years. <laughs> yes. So, we have visited Barchester in the county of Barsetshire. That's quite hard to say. And There um, is a radio version, isn't there? I'm told. There is, there is. And I did look at... I did look that up to see who was um, Joanna Munro. I saw was Mrs. Proudy. Right. I can't remember who was playing the other parts, but yes, it's actually very weird because you can tell the show hasn't really made much of an impression on people when when the IMDb listing or the Wikipedia listing is so lacking in any detail. Yes, you know I mean? there's definitely the correlation there. Descriptions, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, it's, just, it's just a forgotten. I mean, we we had issues uh, in our first day to said of certain shows that deserved to be better known but uh, i'm not quite sure this really i i like i say it's it's there are some lovely there's some lovely moments in it but it it's it's not the greatest television series well i think we may get some trollop fans hello trollop fans (laughs) listening in rather than tv fans um and certainly amongst trollopites i don't think they're called that um, they well, they will they will be able to quite easily pick on my ignorance of well, of the form yeah. But they they say that this adaptation's a good one and faithful, 
and they're they're keen on it. Well, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I could say the characters in it are lovely, and and you, and you you do get the impression that part of the adaptation here is 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 doesn't it doesn't seem to miss anything out, which is probably why who's going to end up as the warden of the hospital is is it does keep going back because it's it i mean okay maybe that's the whole point of it you know they it's interesting that sometimes when people who do know the books they'll they'll just turn around and say oh well that's the reason yeah the reason for this the reason for that all this kind of thing but actually some of it in terms of a television production can seem a bit redundant yeah but you know it's there for a reason and that's fine yeah so we have done b mm. sir yes we have so a b c <gasps> mm, C. Mm. Right. Until next time. Um, thank you for this journey back to this Trollope <laughs> classic. Classic, classic, classic. Um, yeah, it's it's time to say goodbye. I think, unless you have anything okay. else to say. No, I think I've I've summed up as best I can, or, or at least I'm sure you'll edit it so it sounds like I'm summing up. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm quite, quite right, convinced. No I'm quite convinced that this will probably be another low, um, low number of listeners, just because it is slightly bonusy nonsense. But we shall see. No, you know, we can't. We can't. We can't. We can't be bloody well trying to be poppy all the time. No, playing poppy all the time. No. Yeah. It's telly, you know. Yeah. Telly is a is a it's it's a broad church, you know. As as yeah. we find on my in our, in our other lives on our other series, yeah. you know. I mean, you know, I mean, all all you really have to do is is do an episode on Doctor Who, and you'll get about fifteen times the blooming <laughs> audience, you know. But but that's but we're not going to people... do that. We're not doing D. Well, no, we're not doing Doctor Who. Well, no, this is what I'm saying. Yeah. But television has got more going on than just, yeah. you know, certain programmes that people are fans of. I mean, like Blake's... And, you know, you could do Blake's sudden Star Trek yeah. uh, Doctor Who till you blew in the face, and, and there's enough people doing that. Thank you very much. Yeah. But We're but trying to do something different. Out there. We're trying to do something yeah. different. It's a different purpose. And it's good to get series like this out there in a, in a way that people might be attracted to them. And I should say, I've had letters from people. Letters, that makes me sound very trollopian. Um, I've had emails from people. You've, re you've received a communication yes, yes, from a gentleman, exactly. a gentleman in Essex who's told you. <laughs> <laughs> the bishop feels, and so do I, um, that um, people have, have found new series because of this. So that's great. Right. Yeah. Okay. Hurrah. Right. They never write to me. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm illiterate, you see, that's what it is, you know I'm illiterate. Okay, Bunce. Mr. Harding, can you read me this letter we've got from me? <laughs> no, you baby wanting to read it. It's going to put your mark on it. Let's mark it. It's just... Mark it, under pounds. Under pounds. It under pound. Under pound. Okay, I have been Mrs. Proudy and you have been Bunce. <laughs> Goodbye. Indeed. Take care. Bye-bye.
true Christian. That's what you be. Is that what I be? <laughs> Bunch. <laughs> Is that what I be? <laughs>